Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Just get started. It's a fun game. Again, it's a long game. There's a lot of very interesting things that you can get involved in across the multifamily and commercial real estate landscape. So just jump in. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Justin Dixon. Justin is joining us from Austin, Texas. He is a co-founder and principal of Great Venture Capital, which focuses on large multifamily properties across the Sun Belt. He's a GP of over 400 units in two states and LP of over 1,000 units across five states. Justin, can you start us off with a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Appreciate you having me on the show. Really excited to chat. But yeah, I've been in the real estate game for, I guess, about three years now. Started out in small unit, two to four units. My wife and I bought a duplex back in May 2018 out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We actually were living in Philadelphia at the time. We moved to Austin back in October of 2020. So we started out really in kind of the smaller game and then kind of chased the shiny object for about six months, looking at mobile home parks, looking at larger multifamilies, et cetera, et cetera. And we were both working W-2 jobs at the time. What we like, industries I, were you all in? My background is all in recruiting. Okay. 
So I was the head of recruitment for a wealth management firm at the time, and she just started her career in HR. She had a, a career pivot kind of halfway through about six months after she graduated college. She moved from doing fundraising. She was working at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and then switched to HR. So we were both W-2 workers. And then like a lot of investors, we got into it after we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That kind of was like the light totally. uh-huh moment as far as that goes. And I remember listening to it on my walk to work one day and I was like, holy crap, we need to be investing in real estate. I've always had this entrepreneurial bug. Like I always wanted to start my own business. So I was like, how do we set ourselves up to do that? So I shared the book with her because I was concerned or I guess a little bit nervous that she may not share that same kind of pivot with me because we both grew up in middle-class homes. It was the get a good job, save for retirement, et cetera, et cetera, kind of mindset. So investing in real estate was never part of my vernacular. So luckily she read it and had the same kind of aha moment that I had where she was like, let's, nice. what are we doing? Let's, let's jump right in. So that's when we quickly turned around. I read that book in late 2018, and then we closed on our duplex in May of 2019. So it was a fairly quick transition, but then we realized we can't really scale because we weren't super wealthy. So we didn't have a ton of extra cash to just throw into small multifamilies left and right. So I wanted to kind of jump into larger deals. And that's when I kind of stumbled upon the whole syndication model in late 2019 and then joined a syndication group called Think Multifamily based in Dallas with Mark Kenny. He actually spoke at your at the last best ever conference was I was at back. I guess that was nice. January or something. Um, February, so, yeah. So jumped into the larger multifamily in February of 2020. The month prior, I actually had quit my very stable corporate recruitment gig to start my own recruiting business, but then to also focus on real estate, not realizing that January of 2020 was going to be the early phases of COVID. And 2020 was not a great time to start a recruiting business. <laughs> Nobody was hiring. So 2020 was a bit of a unique year, to say the least. But it really gave me the opportunity and the time to focus on learning this whole syndication world because it's way different than analyzing a two to four unit deal. It's way more complex and there's a lot more people involved in the team and all that fun stuff. So as you mentioned, now we're up to over 400 units from a general partner perspective. We're about to close. When was your first syndication acquisition? The first deal that I participated in was 2021. I don't remember the exact dates, but... I didn't find the deal. I was brought in to co-GP from a capital raising perspective. So I helped raise gotcha. some money in that deal. So early on in my syndication timeframe, I was really focused on trying to find deals because that is where I thought I, because I had the time and I learned how to underwrite deals during 2020. I think I underwrote over 200 deals that year just to kind of learn the process and learn how the whole mechanism worked, but then realized, Hey, I can actually raise a little bit of money and, and all that. So The deals that I've partnered on or or been on the GP side have been all from a capital raising perspective, because that's where I've kind of been shifting some of my focus. That first one was early part of 2021. I was in Kansas City, Kansas. It's uh, outside of Kansas City. So Um, as a GP, are you solely focused on raising capital for deals that other members of the GP are finding and getting under contract? Yeah, as of right this second, I still spend time looking. Living in Austin, I look a lot in Texas. Uh, I look sure. a lot in Austin, very difficult to find deals in Austin, just given the, the climate here and how competitive it is to, to find deals in Austin. But I like San Antonio a lot, so I look a lot there, and that's only 90 minutes away from here. So I still look for deals, but I'm trying to build the capital raising engine. So yeah, I think the, the value that I can bring to people that find deals within our group is capital is not super easy to find, and, and there's a lot of deals going on. So bringing some money to the deals is helpful. 
Gotcha. So specific to capital raising right now, a GP of 400 plus as a capital raiser, how many deals is that? You said your first one was in 2021? Yeah, it's three separate properties, one in Kansas City and then two in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. And when was your most recent acquisition and are you guys raising capital for any deals right now? Yeah, I'm working on a deal right now. It's in Fort Worth, Texas. But yeah, we're well on our way to closing that one out. We should be done. I think our close date is mid-July at this point. But the last one that I that closed was in April of this year. Gotcha. And we're recording in late June. And just to be clear, disclaimer, this is not an offer to invest. This is informational only. The reason I ask about things you've got currently going on is the volatility of the economy in late June, 2022. So the deal that you got that's going to close next month, God willing, and the creek don't rise, of course. When did you get under contract? What do the numbers look like? But particularly, I want to ask about your debt structure and how you guys chose the debt structure that you're going with. I'll be transparent. I wasn't involved in the acquisition of this, right? So I'm not going to have specific numbers, at least off the top of my head, because I don't remember all the details. But essentially, the deal got under contract, I think, probably late April, early May. And obviously, the debt market was way different back then. It was only a month or two ago. So we've had to change our structure a little bit from what I'm understanding because we all share a Slack channel, right? And we're all trading messages on a regular basis. So we started out, and one of the reasons why I was comfortable raising capital on this specific deal is I know one of the main GPs really, really well is a good friend. And this is within the larger Think Multifamily group. So that helps because I know how they underwrite, I know the tools that they use, et cetera. But the underwriting was conservative enough that I felt comfortable that there was still some wiggle room if the markets did change and they have. So luckily we were underwriting a, we do bridge debt, right? So when we get the bridge debt for the first two or three years, then we're going to have to refinance or the model is to refinance in, in that two to three year time frame into a longer term fixed rate debt. So we started out with variable debt on bridge. And then I think we pivoted. I think we've done a, a higher interest rate, but a fixed rate as opposed to having that that be variable for the first two years, which is actually hasn't hurt the returns at all. In fact, it actually helped a little bit because it saved us on the rate cap that you've got to spend money on. And I'm not well-versed in that. I know they're trying to fix that rate cap or have that be the hedge. The price of that has increased significantly over the last two months. So that actually saved us some cash that we'd have to raise for that. In the long run, it actually helps the returns slightly. And again, I, I like the group that I'm in and I like there's people in the group that I really trust that they're underwriting and I see their underwriting. I'm not going to bring a deal to my investors that I haven't personally reviewed the underwriting. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in every market that I'm bringing deals to my investors from, but you're kind of betting on the jockey, right? So you're looking at who are the GPs, what's the market, how comfortable are you with their underwriting? And there's deals that I get sent from other people in the group that are like, hey, can you help raise on this deal? And I just don't feel comfortable that their underwriting is conservative enough that I think any hiccup could blow their deal up, right? So I think I got a little off topic, but so bridge debt, I think we got fixed on the bridge for the first two years within a year extension. And then hopefully the markets don't continue to go up too, too much on the fixed rate debt. You definitely have an escalator in there. Do you know how long you have on that fixed term for the bridge debt? Is it three years? I think so. I think we've got two years plus a year extension. The property is only 105 units, so it's not a massive, massive property. So we should be able to stabilize it within the first two years. And then we may have to just use that extra extension, but we baked it into our numbers so that if we do, it still makes sense. The deal still works. 
Cool. So focusing on your specialty, Justin, and your capital raising, I don't want to just ask, so how's it going? Let me paint a picture for our listeners and go with the general consensus that I'm hearing from the people that I interview for the best ever podcast from the people in my spheres, what I'm hearing about capital raising in late June of 2022. And then let me know how your experience is by comparison to that. So what I'm hearing often is that there's kind of a dichotomy. A lot of people we've seen faster growth and faster appreciation than anyone really expected a few years ago. So there are a lot of deals that have sold recently faster than expected, returning a higher multiple, a rising tide floats all boats. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of people who are engaged in apartment syndication, commercial real estate syndication, and a limited capacity with their capital, who have capital sitting on the sidelines. Some of them are very eager to get it deployed. Some of them are trying to figure out how to navigate a shifting economy, increasing interest rates, the necessity to increase cap rates, Do we want to continue with bridge debt, not knowing what the world's going to look like in two, three years? Or do we want to be in deals where the business plan involves a longer hold period or at least a longer period before there's a liquidity event? There are still a lot of people eager to get in a deal though. Mm -hmm. So when you present the numbers that people are looking for with decent conservative underwriting, it isn't too hard to raise capital right now because there's so much of it sitting on the sidelines with people eager to invest. How does your experience compare to everything I just dumped on you just now? I think it's pretty spot on and and I have a unique focal point within the market because I'm obviously involved in real estate, but I'm also involved in recruiting and it's amazing kind of how they are somewhat kind of correlated, but somewhat inverse. So when a lot of people are getting jobs and wage inflation is going up like crazy, which we've seen in the last year, year and a half, people have got money to spend, even though some people's wages aren't rising as fast as inflation is. But as far as raising capital is concerned, I get a lot more questions. So the deal we raised in Jacksonville, I had investors that I know, and my investor database is not massive. A lot of the people are people that I've either our friends or they're people that I know through other connections. So it's not like a stranger I met off the street at a conference and they're coming into a deal, right? So I have a little bit of, they trust me to bring them deals that are properly vetted. So I get a lot more questions than I have in the past of some of the things you mentioned, like how conservative is the underwriting? What's the debt structure, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're much more interested in investing in top tier markets There's deals in the group that are in Arkansas and Alabama and Louisiana and and some of these areas, which if you look at the actual numbers are really attractive markets from a cash flow and appreciation perspective, but they're not the most popular. So people want to see Austin or Jacksonville or Atlanta because they feel comfortable because they know the areas, right? So I think it's been harder for people to raise. And I also haven't been actively looking at raising money on deals that aren't in these kind of top tier name brand markets, because it is a little bit more difficult to find, I would call my investors aren't private equity funds and things like that. There are people that they're W2 workers and they've got some money to invest, but they're not asking them to put in 50, 75 or hundred grand is a big ask, right? It's not like they've got, you know, millions. So they want to be very cautious about where they're putting the money, but they're also looking at the stock market and the volatility where it dropped 700 points a week ago, and then it goes up 500 points today. 
So if you look at your 401k balance or your portfolio balance, it, it changes on a minute by minute basis, which I worked at a wealth management firm. So people like that because they can buy the dip and then they sell it at a higher price. So I'm never going to tell people not to invest in the markets. I'm a very diversified person. So I like to spread my assets or my investments uh, across a number of things. I think the sentiment is people are eager to invest in the real estate market, regardless of what sector you're in, whether it's storage or mobile home parks or apartments, because it's a physical asset. At the end of the day, and I had a buddy that's like, hey man, what's the worst scenario? I'm like, well, there's a lot of worst scenarios, but a very, very poor outcome is that you get your investment back and you have to sell the asset, but you get your original investment back, but you make zero appreciation or any extra money, right? That's a not great scenario, but- Likely, to your point earlier, the last two years, people are selling deals way ahead of schedule because the economy has bailed them out because cap rates have compressed and valuations have skyrocketed. So I think they're not going to appreciate it as fast in the next year and a half as opposed to what they've done in the last. But I think to round it out, I think raising money right now, I wouldn't say it's easy, but people are interested in deploying their capital into a physical asset versus a stock, frankly, in my mind. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. I'm very glad that I didn't get into crypto when I was studying it last year. I realized I'd never have the competitive advantage in cryptocurrency that I have as a real estate investor. So I'm sitting in a relatively good place there and real estate investing tends to be more inflation resistant. In fact, inflation can sometimes be a boon for real estate investing, depending on where you are, your market segment, what MSA you're in and other micro factors. That makes a lot of sense. So are you guys still focused on apartment syndications that are geared towards a three to seven year hold period with a preferred cash on cash return and a targeted IRR at the end? Yes, still our model. And I think one of the things that we've started to do is typically when you do the investor presentation, 
you're talking about, here's our projections, here's our business plan, and it's based over a five to six year period, right? And we explain that we're going to refinance in three years and return some of that capital that you invested and, and et cetera. To me, one of the deals that I know that I was looking at that I was trying to bring to the table, we got to the best and final round, but unfortunately lost, is we were going to present it as if the markets are in a position where we can refinance at an attractive rate, which we've underwritten and hold it for the six-year period, here's what the return profile would be. But also we're going to say, okay, if we can't do that, but we sell it in three years, here's what the return profile will be. So we want to still give people the options or the different scenarios that could happen. And one thing that we've been doing a lot more of recently is providing like a stress test grid of like, okay, here's where our exit cap is right now based on what the market conditions are. And here's what we think exit cap will be in five years. If it changes and maybe it's better than we think, here's what the returns will be. If it's worse than we think, here's what returns will be. So we want to make sure that we're sharing the full picture to our investors. I want to be as transparent as I possibly can around what's the best case scenario or, or a likely case scenario. And also what could happen if things aren't as rosy as we would like them to be when we're trying to sell this asset. And we also tell them, hey, if the marketing conditions aren't there in five years, we're going to hold it for another year, maybe two. And that's the luxury of the real estate game is you'll just continue to get the cash flow that you've been getting, if not maybe a little bit more because we've held it a little bit longer. So some of those other metrics change a little bit, but if you're getting some cash in the mail every month or quarter, it's not a bad thing, right? Absolutely. Last thing before we transition to the last segment of the show, Justin, where are you seeing the most success in finding and building your investor relations that lead to the capital raise for your deals? My biggest area, because I'm very active on LinkedIn for my recruitment business. So one of the things that I've been doing is reaching out to my network there and almost having to reshape how people think of me because I've spent 15 years in the recruitment game. So whenever I post something or reach out to somebody, they think of me as Justin, the recruiter, not Justin, the multifamily real estate yeah. investor. So I've had to reposition my brand a little bit with folks, but it's interesting I used to work at Comcast, massive company in the Northeast, if you're not familiar, but I worked there for about five years and I had somebody reach out to me two weeks ago. It was a hiring manager that I was helping recruit a position for. And he's like, Hey man, I saw you posted something on real estate. I own 10 single family houses across the Sunbelt. I've been thinking about multifamily syndications. I'd love to chat. So it's really interesting when you start to put yourself out there and talk about the things that you're passionate about real estate for me being one of them people that may not be actively in the game as much as you are or are not as outwardly vocal about it. They're like, oh yeah, I do this or I have money that I've been really interested in real estate, but they just don't know who to go to or they don't have the time to do what you and I do and underwrite deals and go to webinars and all that fun, go to conferences. So it's just been interesting to see the people that have reached out to me directly that are in my network that I would never have thought of that are real estate investors or are interested in real estate. So that's been kind of my area that I've been really focusing on. I'm not super active on Instagram and all that fun stuff yet. But yeah, right now it's been really just leaning into LinkedIn, posting articles and just reaching out to people that I know and saying, hey, don't know if this is for you, but if it is, I'd love to chat more about it and go from there. Awesome. Well, Justin, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready, man. You have already mentioned the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, of course, the book that we've all read. What is the best ever book you've recently read? So it's not real estate related, but there's a book called Growing Young. It's by Sergey Young. It's about longevity and how you can do things to your body for wellness and things now so you can potentially live longer. 
it's very fascinating. There's also some technology, future state stuff where we're going to be cyborgs and our brains are going to be in the internet and all that stuff. But that's one I read recently is kind of fascinating. Awesome. What is your best ever way to get back? I'm actually on the board with my wife of a farm animal sanctuary based in New Jersey. So a couple of our friends started a, a sanctuary where they rescue animals that are on factory farms or they're injured and they're going to be killed. So they essentially created this sanctuary where they bring these farm animals and rehab them and all that stuff. So we joined the board about a year and a half, two years ago, I think. It's going to help them as they are working full-time and they're also running the sanctuary full-time. So we help them from thinking about strategies about how to increase donors because the sanctuary survives off of donors. They do providing money to help them keep the sanctuary going. So that's how I get back. Thus far, Justin, in your commercial real estate investing career, specific to apartment syndication, what's the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that you learned from it? That's a good question. I think one of the bigger mistakes is I really wish I would have started earlier. I guess that's a bit, I mean, I wish I would have done. I wish I would have started when I was 21 or something. But I think some of the things I think I haven't been aggressive enough in some of my underwriting. I think I could have won some deals early on in my career. And obviously hindsight's way 2020. You could have bought a deal without looking at it in 2019 and it would have been perfect in 2021. But no, I think some of the things it's just kind of trusting my numbers a little bit more and being a little bit more aggressive, not to an overextend, but just be a little more aggressive because um, I probably could have won at least, I know at least one deal recently that I could have won for sure. But just being a little bit more confident in some of the underwriting and, and making sure that you have enough data to make an educated decision on how to pull the trigger or pull some levers that are going to make the deal work, but not overly pull levers that are going to make it be headache. Justin, what's your best ever advice? To get started, I'm analysis paralysis type person. I procrastinate. I'm a very budgeted person. I'm a very risk averse person. So buying your first duplex back in 2019, I had to make sure one, I had enough nest egg in the bank account that if that didn't work out well, we weren't going to go hungry or anything like that. So make sure you've got all your ducks in a row, but, but don't overanalyze jumping into real estate or buying your first deal. I don't know the quote exactly, but when's the best time to invest in real estate? Yesterday, right? So just get started. This is a long-term game. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not Bitcoin where you buy it at 20 and then a year from now it goes to 40. Or it's four. Exactly yeah, we could have a chat about Bitcoin. Just get started. It's a fun game. It's, again, it's a long game. There's a lot of very interesting things that you can get involved in across the multifamily and commercial real estate landscape. So just jump in. And Justin, where can people get in touch with you? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So just find me on LinkedIn. That's one of the ways, but also my email is justin at greatventurecapital.com. That's another good way to catch me. Excellent. And those links are in the show notes. Justin, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well. If you've gained value from this conversation, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend that you know that we can add value to through our conversation with Justin today. Thank you and have a best ever day.